What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and last week I finally sat down and put together my first rough draft of 2023 fantasy football rankings. We talked through my top 24 running backs, my top quarterbacks, and today we're going to talk through my top 24 wide receivers for fantasy football in this upcoming 2023 season. We're going to go through the tiers, kind of where I see the tier breaks and the values across the top 24, and just kind of how I'm viewing this landscape heading into the offseason. So with all that being said, if you learned something new, if you enjoyed the video, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. All right, and that is the new intro, by the way. Uh, the song is Snow Cone by K-Texas. Uh, he went to my high school, just a local rapper I know, so we're not getting cop copyright striked on chance the rapper anymore so his links to his uh platforms on like spotify and everything that'll be in the description moving forward shout out k texas for letting me use his music uh in the intro and outros now when we talk about today we're doing top 24 wide receivers tier list you guys know what that means i also listed them as different categories people have been complaining in the comments are like you know s tier a tier like it's kind of basic and i kind of agree so what we're going to talk through today is this is for full PPR, but it can be applied to half PPR. And I really care about the tiering more than I care about the rankings within each tier, right? Like I'm not going to June 13th. I'm not going to argue wide receiver 11 versus wide receiver 12 with you. It's really just more about breaking them up into tiers. And these tier titles, by the way, are more just based on how I feel about these players when, I, when they're in my lineup. So, you know, wide receiver twos might not even be wide receiver 13 through wide receiver 24. It's just the guys that, when I look at my roster and they're in the wide receiver two spot, I feel comfortable with that. So when we talk about wide receivers, S tier, we have top dogs. And the two top dogs, we'll talk about them together, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. They both have good quarterbacks. They're both in pass first offenses. You know, Jamar Chase is heading into year three. We usually see like massive breakouts in year three. Justin Jefferson just entering his prime in year four. They're early off in their they're early on in their careers. There's no like heightened injury risk of being old. There's no heightened like fall off risk. We've seen with guys like Julio Jones and even like Antonio Brown towards the end of his career where things just kind of went sideways. They're both squarely in the production prime part of their careers, which I think is important. Now you could argue for other wide receivers on this list to have maybe more upside but I don't think there's any two wide receivers on this list that have the same super 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 elite high floor and then also have a wide receiver one overall you know season in their upside case now when we talk about Jefferson he was wide receiver one last year technically wide receiver two in points per game behind cup depending on how you feel about using nine games played as a part of your sample but Jefferson was amazing he cleared 20 points per game he's going to be his second year or he's going into his second year in this Kevin O'Connell offense after just putting up 128 catches for 1,809 yards uh, and he actually underperformed his touchdowns last year he had eight touchdowns PFF had him uh, expected for 11 so he only produced that by three he would have passed cup in points per game if he had his expected amount of touchdowns he should even take another step forward scoring more touchdowns being the focal point of the offense again wheels all the way up for Jefferson then we have Chase who I think might need more convincing towards you guys to be uh in this kind of like unquestioned territory but again this is a guy ramping up in his career entering his prime entering year three last year he was the wide receiver four in points per game clearing 20 plus points per game in just his second year and that was while dealing with an injury and then also having T Higgins on the other side of the formation so just 
almost an impossible scenario for him. And I think the year three takeoff is where things really happen for Jamar Chase here. Now, of course, again, super high floor, young wide receiver, ascending. Something would have to go terribly wrong for him to finish outside the top six wide receivers in fantasy this year. And here's the story with Jamar Chase. We're going to look at this chart a good bit, this video. This chart, or this table, EP per game, expected points per game. So that's just based on your targets, your ADOT, your overall volume, how many points per game should you be scoring. And then FPOE per game is fantasy points over expected per game. So how much are you outperforming that with your yards, your yards per reception, your yards per target, your yards per outrun, uh, your touchdowns? How much are you exceeding or underperforming your expected output? Now, Jamar Chase has been efficient over his first two years, right? Really efficient in year one, 5.3 fantasy points over expected per game, number three in the NFL. So the rank is your ranking among all uh, wide receivers. But then his efficiency scaled back in his second year, went to 1.2 FPOE per game, which is fine, but it's 40th among wide receivers. But his expected points per game, he actually led all wide receivers last year in expected points per game. So the volume was there. But the guys who said, uh, it was funny because anyone, I mean, not really anybody was fading Chase last year. But if you were fading Chase, you thought the efficiency was unsustainable. Well, the issue is that the volume went all the way up because that's what we see from wide receivers in year two. And what I would assume is that in year three, we see the FPOE per game sit somewhere between that 5.3 and 1.2, which means, you know, you add what? Like the average of them two would be something in like the three range. So you add three to 19.4. That's 22.4 points per game, which would like match what Cup did last year. So if the efficiency can, can kind of find the middle ground and the volume stays the same, which it should going into year three, uh, then again, wide receiver one overall is in his upside case. And if not, he is going to be the main option in a high scoring offense tied to Joe Burrow. Again, really high floor uh, going into year three. Now, our next tier are both wide receivers that could score more points than these two top dogs. I've seen the floor is much lower uh, because they are kind of like aging vets. They're not attached to, especially in the case of Chase, where Jefferson's the undisputed wide receiver one, but Chase is you know tied to Joe Burrow. These next two guys, their quarterbacks are nowhere near uh, as talented as Joe Burrow. So first up, we'll talk about Cooper Cup, my wide receiver three uh, in the wide receiver one overall candidates. Again, these guys have super super high uh, upside, could outscore the guys up here, but I don't think they have the floor to be in that like top dog tier. And first up, we have Cooper Cup. Uh, he's wide receiver three. It's pretty simple when we talk about Cooper Cup. You know, when he's been healthy over the last two years, he's been a sizable advantage over the rest of the field. Uh, since 2021, he has averaged 24.65 points per game, you know, clearing Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson by like a whole four points per game, which is just absolutely insane. Now, the issue is, is he's now 30 years old. Um, is this 20 plus point per game stuff that he's been doing sustainable? Uh, how is the offense going to look? We have Matt Stafford now, who's like not very healthy. We didn't really get to see down the stretch last year of what Cup would have looked like uh, with whoever else they were throwing out there at quarterback. I know like Baker Mayfield came in on short notice. So we don't really know. We imagine Stafford plays the entire year, but Stafford at this point is like all banged up. Can he hold up for a 16-game season or 17-game season? Uh, What I will say in the Rams' favor is their defense is absolutely awful. Outside of Aaron Donald, uh, they have like – the worst offensive unit in Mike Clay's projections this year. They have nobody. They traded away Jalen Ramsey. Bobby Wagner is no longer with them. Like, it is Aaron Donald and it is the rest. So maybe they pass more. Uh, Mike Clay has them projected for the third most pass attempt. So I think that Cooper Cup still has a fine path. He's my wide receiver three. Again, it's just like that slight concern that he is getting older. The offense is going to be as, as good as it's been in years past. But again, I'm not putting him any lower than wide receiver three. If he's on the field and things click, He's probably the wide receiver one in points per game. I just think that he has a little bit less 
uh, I think his floor is just a little bit lower uh, than these two top dogs. And our wide receiver four here is going to be Tyree Kill. Uh, Tyree Kill, I think people forget just how dominant he was uh, with Tua. When Tua was in the lineup uh, and he started the game and he finished the game, Tyree Kill had 22.5 points per game, which would have been the wide receiver one overall last year, ahead of Cooper Cup and ahead of Justin Jefferson. It just so happened Tua got hurt and he was out for six games, and Tyree killed to kind of figure it out. Now, 15.65 points per game in games with, you know, what are we talking? We're talking like Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater. It's still pretty impressive. And, he, and with those guys, too, he was on a 105 catch, 1,402-yard uh, pace. He just wasn't scoring any touchdowns, uh, which – Kind of makes sense because those quarterbacks aren't going to drive down the field as much. But in Tyree Kill's favor, they bring in Mike White. So if Tua does go down, they at least have a capable backup who at times last year, Mike White, was sort of, uh, you know, supplying wide receiver one and two finishes to Garrett Wilson on a weekly basis. So I think Mike White in a Mike McDaniel offense as well would be much more serviceable uh, than the Skylar Thompsons of the world and the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world. Regardless, this McDaniel offense is going to be pass-heavy. They were seventh in pass rate over expected last year. It's a good offense. Uh, Tyree Kill last year had like his highest target share since he left the Chiefs. Like on the Chiefs, he was never a guy that went over like 25%. Last year with the Dolphins, Tyree Kill was like a 30% plus target share guy. He was at times like the best wide receiver in the NFL. If it wasn't for quarterback play and he was tied to Mahomes, I think you could make a case for him to be in this top dogs tier, maybe as high as wide receiver one. If he switched spots with you know, Jamar Chase and had Joe Burrow as his QB one, maybe higher, but Tua can get hurt. He does have Jalen Waddle next to him. Maybe that, you know, that seesaw kind of evens out a little bit more this year, but Tyree Kill, crazy, crazy spike week potential. We can give you like 40 plus point weeks was really good last year, even without Tua. So wide receiver four for me uh, is where he'll settle out. Now, after that small tier break to our elite wide receiver ones. Now these are guys where I draft them. They're my wide receiver one. And I feel very good about that. Now, do I think that they have like a super clear case to be the wide receiver one overall? Probably not. But they're guys that I would bet to be, you know, in the mix to be top six guys. And at wide receiver five, we'll put Stephon Diggs. Now, I wrote this article yesterday and today, or article outline. Stephon Diggs didn't show up to practice. It's like mandatory to show up to practice this week, and he hasn't. Uh, it's not a money thing. It might be a team issue thing. But I think at this point, it's so, so new. I'm not going to move Stephon Diggs down. Um, unless of this, like, you know, persists throughout the entire offseason. For now, we're so early in the Stephon Diggs drama that I don't really even want to factor it in, if I'm being completely honest. Um, Diggs just some, does seem like one of those emotional uh, type of players. He probably just needs some time or probably just needs to feel like uh, the team wants him, you know, and they'll hit him up and be like, oh, Stephon Diggs, come back, whatever, whatever. Um, but when we talk about him just from a football perspective, since he's joined Buffalo, he has been – the wide receiver three in points per game, the wide receiver nine, and the wide receiver six. We're putting that wide receiver five. It's about where you can expect them to be at. He's averaged about 19 points per game since joining the Bills. Over those years, we have pretty much a, you know, over the last three years since Diggs joined uh, Buffalo, we have like a tier of six wide receivers that have been truly difference-making. Devontae Adams, Cup, Tyree Kill, Jefferson, Diggs, Chase. Then you have a tier break to like Ridley and then another tier break to Keenan Allen where it's like a, a point drop off from each one. Uh, everyone that's like 18.8 points per game and above has been an elite wide receiver to me. And I would still consider them elite wide receivers until they show us otherwise and don't produce as well. So Stephon Diggs in the elite wide receiver tier. He's attached to Josh Allen. I can't put him much lower than this. Josh Allen, this team is going to be good. They're always or since Josh Allen has been good over the last three years. 
The team has been amazing. Their offense has been humming. So I'd rather just have the guy that you can pretty much pencil in for like 18-plus points per game attached to Josh Allen. And then we have Devontae Adams, who on this list of wide receivers over the last three years is the top dog by a good chunk. He has just been dominant. Even last year with, you know, new scheme, new quarterback, dominant. He was the wide receiver five in points per game at 19.7. He led the league in target share. And he has finished as the wide receiver five, the wide receiver two, the wide receiver one, the wide receiver six, and the wide receiver one over the last few, five years, never finishing outside the top six. So that's what will happen. Now, he was also a really nice wide receiver in terms of volume last year. It wasn't unsustainable touchdown luck. He had over 18 expected points per game, which was right next to Chase, Cup, and Jefferson as the only wide receivers over 18. Now, when we head into this year, we have a different setup. He has Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo has been fine supporting fantasy pieces, right? We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo support Kittle and Ayuk at times and Debo Samuel at times. And this team, the Raiders, uh, Jacob Sanderson, a guy that I talk about all the time, he had a tweet the other day where uh, he put it really well. This Raiders team has their back against the wall. Josh McDaniels, this is his entire livelihood. If there was something truly wrong with Jimmy Garoppolo, we would see more urgency from them, either signing veterans or figuring something out they do not have the leeway or the length on their leash to sit there and lose games without any kind of a plan so my guess is that Jimmy Garoppolo has something wrong with his foot but he should be good to go by week one he should be good to go uh for like when camp starts in like July August area he should be good to go Mike Clay has this team as the second worst defensive unit outside of Max Crosby they are absolutely terrible on defense and he has them projected for the seventh most pass attempts. So Devonta Adams has been a guy, right? He goes to the Raiders. He commands over a 30% target share. He has a high target share wherever he goes. He should have a massive chunk of this offense. I don't know that he's going to score 14 touchdowns again, but I would assume that Josh McDaniels probably schemed a lot of those touchdowns where he was kind of the goal line option when a lot of teams were just focusing in on Josh Jacobs. That should be there again. He's somebody that I think you can conservatively say he plays the entire season, top six wide receiver numbers. Now, the rest of this is going to be a big jumble of wide receiver ones. These are just guys where if I get out of the first, you know, two, three rounds and I look up and this guy's my wide receiver one, I'm feeling fine. You know, you can pencil them in for like 16, 17 points per game and just guys that I feel fine with as my wide receiver one. Now, at wide receiver seven, the first wide receiver in this tier, we have A.J. Brown, if I can find him. And it's pretty easy with A.J. Brown. He is super talented. He is super efficient. His career average yards per run is 2.6, which would have been third among all wide receivers last year behind only Jefferson and only Tyree Kill. That is his average yards per run over his entire career. And even at worst, his 2.5 two years ago in 2021 would have been behind, like it would have been the wide receiver five in yards per run last year. So he's just absolutely wild. He gets open at a high rate. Uh, he makes amazing catches at the catch point or amazing plays at the catch point his yards of the catch is wild really the question with uh, AJ Brown is the volume and that's kind of the that's kind of been his issue the entire time the Titans were a low pass volume offense time goes to the Eagles where they're a low pass volume offense at least it's a really efficient pass uh pass offense but it is a low volume pass offense which does hold him back a little bit uh the Eagles last year had one of the best defenses in the NFL they only added to that with uh, the Georgia lineman and like Nolan and you had the other kid up top Jalen Carter they're going to be strong on defense they have Jalen Hurts is going to run a lot even with the 10th highest pass rate over expectation last year they still only ended up 23rd in pass attempts they're just a team that's not going to have to pass the ball a lot and then you also have Jalen Hurts taking away 
with scrambles. So there's not going to be a lot of volume. You see AJ Brown's last year, you know, unexpected points per game. He was like just ahead of Christian Kirk with 14 expected points per game, but a clear tier behind the rest of these guys where you see like Chase and Cup and Jefferson and Devontae and Tyree Kill. All these guys are clearing 16 plus expected points per game. AJ Brown's all the way on the bottom, relying on efficiency, which you can rely on him for efficiency, but it's going to be tough for him to break that 20 plus point per game ceiling without being in that like 16, 17 expected points per game area, a place that he's been before on the Titans, but I'm just not sure if that is enough for him to get there with the Eagles. So I have him in the slight tier behind the elite wide receiver ones, but he's still so good. The the floor is so high in this passing offense. I have to put him here at wide receiver seven. Now at wide receiver eight, we have Cooper Cup, who or not Cooper Cup, I don't know why I said that, but we have C D Lamb uh as our wide receiver eight. And he took a huge fo- a step forward last year. This was a guy who we've been on him for not commanding targets, right? His until last year, his career high target share was twenty point four percent. Last year, he has a 28.7% target share. He needed to command targets and become like the alpha of this offense, and he did. The issue is that he had like five games without Dak Prescott that weren't great, but if you take out the games without Dak Prescott and you look at just the games where you had Dak, in those 12 games, he had 18.4 points per game, which would have been the wide receiver seven in points per game. We're ranking him at wide receiver eight, so I think that's pretty fair. Uh, The only issue for me with this, uh, with CeeDee Lamb just in general this year, is that the Cowboys offense... It's probably going to take a step back, right? They're losing Kellen Moore. I mean, Ezekiel, it's not a core part of this offense being efficient, but it is a core part of their, like, identity and what they've looked like the past few years. So you're losing Ezekiel Elliott. You're losing Kellen Moore. You're kind of changing your entire identity. They were 19th in pass attempts per game last year. And with Kellen Moore gone, McCarthy has said that he wants to run the ball even more than they did last year, slow things down, slow the tempo down. So this Cowboys offense, we used to be able to bank on being, like, top five in pass attempts and, like, top five in scoring, super high pace. Now you can't really expect that. So it's going to be run heavier. It's going to be slower. They're going to have a good defense too with like Mika Parsons. They bring in Mozzie Smith. They have, of course, like Trevon Diggs. It's going to be a good defense. They're going to be able to, you know, sit on a lot of leads. They're going to want to play slow. But again, I'm kind of just nitpicking here. CeeDee Lamb will be the wide receiver one in this offense. Dak Prescott is good enough that his efficiency should be able to help out CeeDee Lamb, even if it is a lower volume offense than we're used to with the Cowboys. But it does just suck because the volume is finally there for CeeDee Lamb. I just don't know if the offensive environment will kind of allow him to transcend to that next level. But again, wide receiver eight, still very high for me. Uh, after that, we have Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think you can make a tier. You can make a case for Amon Ross St. Brown to be the top of this tier. And it wouldn't shock me at all if by the end of the summer, I have him at the top of this tier. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown's a guy that's really, really growing on me. Now, if we remember to last year, he came out the gates absolutely humming. Through two weeks, he averaged 29.9 points per game. He was the wide receiver four. Then he sprains his ankle in week three. Then he has a concussion in week seven. He doesn't get back to a 75% snap share until week eight. So his points per game everywhere is screwed up. But if you just take the games where he has over a 75% snap share, which I think is being more than generous, he had 19.9 points per game, which would have been just behind Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, over an entire season. Why did you have four in points per game in the games where you had a 75% or better snap share? And we look at his peripherals, they're pretty similar to the year, uh, you know, last year, Cup was amazing in terms of points per game, but their yards per run, both at 2.4. Their targets per run, right around 28%. Both of their slot percentage, right in that 55 to 60% area. Their dot 6.7, 7.5. Yards of the catch per reception, 5.1, 5.6. Across the board, the peripherals are really similar. What you had here, was bad touchdown luck and like injuries for Cooper for Amon Ross St. Brown. But on a per rate ba- per route basis, they had the similar peripherals to Cooper Cup. Didn't score as many touchdowns, 0.375 touchdowns per game to Cooper Cup's 0.67. But 
that's just kind of what happens when you have Jamal Williams take away, what, like 15-plus touchdowns in your offense. We have no Jamal Williams this year. It is pretty much just Amon Ross St. Brown until Jamison Williams comes back. Like his other wide receivers, we're talking about uh, rookies and Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta. We're talking about Marvin Jones and Josh Reynolds. He will be the focal point of this offense. We've already seen Cooper Cup have a lot of success with Cooper Cup, uh, or we've seen Jared Goff have a lot of success with Cooper Cup. We've seen Jared Goff now have some success with Amon Ross St. Brown. Could very easily replicate that sort of role in this offense. This offense should be good. Projected to be like top 10 scoring in Mike Clay's projections right now. Offensive line's amazing. Jared Goff looked good last year. It should be a really nice connection between Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown. 20-plus points per game is very much in Amon Ross St. Brown's range. And again, forgot to even put him here as my wide receiver nine, but there's a very good chance that I put Amon Ross St. Brown uh, here by the end of the year or by the end of the offseason. I, I really am tempted. Uh, but after that, wide receiver 10. And the last wide receiver in this tier for me is Garrett Wilson. Uh, he looked great last year. He was amazing. Just had awful quarterback play. The Jets had. We had Chris Strebler play some games. We had Joe Flacco play some games. Mike White play some games. Zach Wilson play some games. It was just ugly across the board. Uh, but what we know with Garrett Wilson is he's a talented player. He gets open. Uh, this is a great blurb from Matt Harmon. He's been dropping a lot of these reception perception blurbs on wide receivers from last year. I believe that's receptionperception.com, but he said, this is about Gary Wilson. He said, wondering if you're wondering why his success rates are so fantastic despite some technical nitpicks, it's simply because Wilson is truly a freak athlete. Truly. I believe we were talking about one of these special physical specimens playing the position today in terms of his ability to bend and move. This shows up in his after-the-catch ability. Wilson was in space on 11.3% of his sampled routes and went down on first contact on less than half of those chances. He can break tackles with surprising power for his frame, and he eludes tacklers with silky smooth precision. I've made this comparison before, but he's what all the Cardarius Tony bros want the Chiefs wideout to be because he's Tony-like freaking in the open field, except he can actually run routes. So this is a guy who is really special in terms of getting open at the catch point, fluidity in his movements, yard to the catch. He's a complete stud. He had the highest year two points per game projection uh, in my year two projection model among all the 2022 uh, wide receivers in terms of rookie wide receivers ever, ever. I don't know why I said ever, but among all rookie wide receivers ever since 2007 in my database, he is the six highest. He has the six highest PFF grade of all time. His 16 game pace of 131 targets was second most in my entire database. His 14.7 expected points per game, which factors out quarterback play, right? Again, your targets, your ADA, all of that. How many points should you have scored? Not factoring in your quarterback play. That was second all time for rookie wide receivers behind just Odell Beckham, 14.7 expected points per game. And he now gets a massive spike in efficiency from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers comes to town. He is somebody that carries with him a really great career adjusted yards per attempt, a really great touchdown rate uh, over his entire career. And this team isn't going to pass the ball at a league high rate, but that is just fine with Aaron Rodgers because he squeezes so many touchdowns and yards out of his attempts. And when we look in from a macro perspective, Mike Clay, who we are going to mention a lot in this video, he does projections for ESPN. And I care about them because He's a really smart guy that I believe is qualified to make projections where there's going to be a lot of guys that you either find on Twitter or fantasy sites that aren't all that qualified at making projections or even that good at making projections. Mike Clay, the official projection guy uh, at ESPN, he makes all of his data public and he is known to be really conservative. I've been looking at his projections for the last, I would say, like three plus years. He's very conservative. He has all of the rookie wide receivers from like uh, JSN, Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison outside of his top 40 wide receivers. He has Garrett Wilson right now as his wide receiver nine 
with just a 22% target share. We saw last year Garrett Wilson had a 24.9% target share. If that goes up to like Devontae Adams' range of 30%, then it's all over. We're talking about a top five wide receiver season. There's really no competition on this team either. I think we're all going to also see Garrett Wilson have a spike in touchdowns where we have Nathaniel Hack. All right, I had to get a drink of water there, but I was talking about Nathaniel Hackett. He had those two seasons with Aaron Rodgers where Aaron Rodgers won an MVP. Nathaniel Hackett goes to Denver. Aaron Rodgers has a bad year this year. But when we go back to those two years, of course, we have Aaron Rodgers winning MVPs. But we also have a lot of touchdowns for, a lot of touchdowns for Devontae Adams where he'll, like, scheme him up in motion and kind of have him do these rub routes on the goal line. You can kind of cheese your way to, like, 12-plus touchdowns. If we see Garrett Wilson get that usage, then that's even better for his upside case. And I think he will get that usage of, like, being used in motion and on the goal line. He had this one... Uh, like a really nice release against the Browns last year on the outside. I think that he is going to be really featured in the red zone, which, again, the target share goes up in this offense, and he scores touchdowns. And we're talking about a league-winning wide receiver, even if you're taking him at top 10 prices. Now, we have a teardrop here to guys that I would call, like, if I look up and they're my, they're my wide receiver one on my team, it's probably fine, uh, but they're more like luxury wide receiver twos are the guys that I would call here. And at wide receiver 11, we have Jalen Waddle. Now, when we, we talked about Tyree Kill, his splits with him without two are pretty crazy. Waddles are even bigger, uh, where he was an 8.1 point per game guy uh, in the 11 games with Tua. And then he had six games without Tua that was 10.6 points per game. So a huge, huge drop off. That 18.1 point per game stretch uh, with Tua would have been the wide receiver seven on the year. And that was next to Tyree Kill, who was also balling out. There's like a bug that is flying around. I think I got it. I don't know. But. Waddle balled out. We should have a little bit more of insurance against that 10.6 point per game stretch where, of course, Tua is getting hurt often. But we do have uh, Mike White there now where he should be a, a more serviceable, back, serviceable backup uh, than your Skylar Thompsons and your Teddy Bridgewaters. But when we talk about Waddle, his volume was something that was actually huge in his first year where he had like a massive target share. I think that I was talking earlier that Garrett Wilson is the second highest 16 game pace of targets in his first year. I think Waddle has the highest. Uh, he was an absolute target magnet in his first year. And pretty much what we said happened happened where we looked at his stuff and we said, you know what? This is not Jarvis Landry, right? His expected points per game in his rookie year was 14.6, 13th in the entire NFL, which is really, really impressive. That was higher than like AJ Brown in 2022. Uh, some other guys on this list as well. But that was as a rookie, but he wasn't efficient. He was at 0.9 FPOE per game, fantasy points over expected. So we were thinking, like, is this guy Jarvis Landry? But then we were talking in the offseason. We said Jalen Waddle coming out of school was electric. He's way faster, way more dynamic than a Jarvis Landry. And that proved to be true. But his volume went down with the addition with Ty of Tyree Kill. But the efficiency went way up. So what we're thinking is, is, like, heading into year three, maybe he could take some more of that volume away from Tyree Kill and probably hover somewhere in like the 13 expected points per game area, like the three FPOE per game area. And that's how you can kind of get, you can kind of see, you know, 16 to 17 points per game for Jalen Waddle. But I think that there is upside for him to completely usurp Tyree Kill. I think it's, I think that we're probably another year or two out though for him to like out target or out produce Tyree Kill. So that's why I have him at wide receiver 11. It's a little bit tougher for me to put these guys that are wide receiver twos in their offense uh, much higher because the ceiling is just, uh, you have your own teammate standing in the way of you getting to like 20 plus points per game. Of course, two wide receivers on the same team can finish as wide receiver ones, and I think that that's been shown, but to finish as like 20 plus point per game wide receivers alongside each other, pretty, pretty brutal bet uh, to make, or pretty brutal outcome uh, to factor in. But our next guy, T. Higgins, our wide receiver 12 on this list, 
And like Waddle, kind of like the rest of these guys, I mean, with wide receiver, we don't really need to swing for the absolute fences. You're getting super high floors out of your wide receiver twos. Waddle, T. Higgins, both guys that give you massive spike weeks uh, that can just absolutely win you weeks. Now, T. Higgins uh, was, a, was the wide receiver 12 in points per game in 2021. 2022, though, was weird. His, his points per game was wide receiver 26, but it, like he dealt with injury and like a bunch of other stuff. Like It, it also probably factors in uh, the Buffalo Bills versus Bengals game. A lot of sites factor that into his points per game. If you use the games where you played over 50% of the snaps, which I think is more than fair, he had 16.5 points per game, which would have been wide receiver 11 in points per game and a better finish than he had in 2021 which is pretty damn good. Now, the issue with T. Higgins, like some other guys in this tier, his wide receiver one in that offense is Jamar Chase, who just led all wide receivers in expected points per game, had a top six target share, has a 20-plus point per game ceiling. So with T. Higgins, I, I just have a hard time feeling out over an entire season how high he can rise. I mean, I guess you can say that he kind of has like uh, an extra layer of like handcuff contingent value upside where if Jamar Chase was to go down, maybe T Higgins could compete for 20 plus points per game. Uh, but it's a really thin margin. You're trying to factor in that upside case at top 12 prices already. Now, again, T Higgins is my wide receiver 12. The floor is really high. He's the one B on a pass heavy high scoring offense tied to Joe Burrow. He has a high ADOT. He's a downfield contested catch wide receiver that scores touchdowns as well. So he's going to give you big spike weeks in your game log. So he's a really nice wide receiver. Again, I just can't put him like in this in this tier ahead just because I have a tough time. Like all of these guys, I can talk myself into how they become top five wide receivers in fantasy uh, in 2022 without an injury as well. Like these guys probably need injuries. Now, similar story uh, again with our wide receiver 13. Now, I can't trust enough. Like I'm kind of like talking about these guys like I'm not huge fans of them they are my top 13 fantasy wide receiver rankings but again Devonta Smith not sure how he gets a 20 plus points per game you kind of need that ceiling he goes like round two on underdog a lot these all three of these guys go round two on underdog which I think is tough for me to justify um but they are super strong bets in my eyes to be top 15 point per game wide receivers at the end of the day. Last year, you had Devonta Smith, who had a 27% target share, uh, which was 14th among wide receivers. AJ Brown had a 29%, so it was a really concentrated offense. The issue is that the volume wasn't really there from a team level. 23rd in pass attempts. It's going to be really tough, even with those like super, super high market shares to, you know, support those wide receivers of having like they just barely did it last year uh, I think both AJ Brown and Devonta Smith finished in the top 12 but they just barely did it uh, Jalen Hurts could take a step forward as a passer he had just like 22 passing touchdowns last year so Jalen Hurts somehow takes another step forward and he's challenging for like 30 plus passing touchdowns and like 4,000 plus passing yards and I think that Devonta Smith and AJ Brown could go even higher but again it's just really thin it's just really thin on an offense like that, that's run heavy. Dallas Goddard was out for stretches last year. The defense is only getting better. Um, so it is tough for me to get super, super excited about those three. But when we talk about wide receiver 14, we have two guys here that I almost want to put ahead uh, of these wide receiver two types. And first up, we have DK Metcalf. Uh, we'll be conservative for now, though. We'll, we'll keep Metcalf behind them. I know that you guys would be very annoyed if I had Metcalf uh, at the top of this tier. But DK Metcalf is my wide receiver 14 this year. And last year he had such a weird year because the entire Seahawks offense paid off it felt like besides DK Metcalf DK Metcalf was fine where you drafted him but he wasn't uh absolutely amazing and that happened because his prior two years he had over 10 receiving touchdowns but somehow last year with Geno Smith who threw 30 touchdowns Metcalf only ended up with six which is really crazy now if we look at uh PFF has a cool thing that they do 
where they uh, break out your expected touchdowns. So these are every wide receiver last year with an expected touchdowns of nine or more. You have Jefferson Jefferson expected for 11, ended up scoring eight. Diggs ended, uh, expected for 11, scored 11. DK Metcalf expected for 10.5, scored six. No one else underperformed their expected touchdown total like this. Everybody else on this list has at least eight touchdowns. Um, so absolutely wild, unlucky season for DK Metcalf. Football is random sometimes. And this is kind of what it, what it comes down to with DK Metcalf. Last year, he was the wide receiver 14 in his expected points per game. 14.5 EP per game, your expected points per game. Highest of his entire career. But what was unfortunate about that is that he had the least efficient year of his career. Minus 0.8 FPOE per game outside the top 190 wide receivers. Now this is DK Metcalf, a guy who has been, you know, at least 1.4 FPOE per game his entire career, right? 3.4 in his second year, even just 1.9 in his third year, still pretty solid. 4-4 speed, has always been a good yards per out run guy. So why not bet on him to outproduce that? Why not bet on him if he's going to see the expected points per game? He commanded volume with Geno Smith. I know that they bring in JSN, but my thing with JSN is he's not going to kick DK Metcalf out of two wide receiver sets, right? DK Metcalf is the pure X in that offense. Jason's going to come in the slot and any expected points per game or any volume he takes away from DK Metcalf is going to give him a massive boost in efficiency where, you know, DK Metcalf is usually getting doubled and seeing a lot of resources devoted to him. Now they have to worry about three wide receivers. You can get DK Metcalf, you know, running down the seam wide open. You know, you're going to get him downfield open, no safety help happening a lot more often. So if that expected points per game stays the same, and he can hit that 1.5 to like 3 FPOE per game, you're looking at a guy that finishes as a back-end wide receiver one in DK Metcalf. Now, super, super similar story here uh, with Debo Samuel. And I get that everybody feels burned by Debo Samuel. I feel burned by Debo Samuel. I drafted Debo Samuel last year. He burned me. He hurt me in spots, I promise. Uh, but he's my wide receiver 15 this year. And I get why people are upset with Debo. He didn't pay off last year. But last year, we had to pay one, two turn round picks and redraft as a top eight wide receiver. He is now a huge discount from then. He is going like the three or four turn as like a wide receiver, like 16, wide receiver 17 type guy. He's my wide receiver 15. I have him in this tier because we have now seen two years in a row where he has commanded volume. He has over a 25% target share in 2022, over a 25% target share in 2021. He was 18th last year in targets per run at 23.2%. And his target prop run was actually ahead of Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, and T. Higgins. Now, Debo Samuel is a guy who historically has been really efficient, right? His career yards per run, you're not going to find somebody over two yards per run in their entire career, unless they are a very good wide receiver, right? This almost goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with what we saw from A.J. Brown in his career averages. Now, with Debo Samuel, we know, or just across the board in fantasy football, efficiency year-to-year -year isn't sticky. But... In my eyes, from what I've seen from efficiency, right, efficiency year-to-year -year isn't sticky, but I think over an entire player's career, efficiency is sort of sticky. Like, I think over Debo Samuel's entire career over, like, a five-year span, you're going to see his yards per run average in, like, the 2 to 2.25 area. You also have guys that just have higher efficiency ceilings than others have. Like, guys with high efficiency ceilings, you have uh, your Jamar Chases, your Debo Samuels, you have your, like, Alvin Kamara's, Aaron Jones. There's just some guys that can really outperform their volume because they're very talented. And Debo Samuel is one of those guys. His career average uh, as yards per run, 2.29, would have been wide receiver 11 last year. He underperformed that all the way down to 1.69 and was terrible. 
He was known in 2021 for being the outlier efficiency guy. In 2022, he was also the outlier efficiency guy. He underperformed harder than we could have ever imagined. If we look over his entire career, and again, the reason we're saying Debo can have massive efficiency in the other way, positive efficiency, because we saw it in 2021. He takes handoffs. He has big plays. He's used on the goal line as like a, you know, he gets super, super long touchdowns. He used kind of like a goal line back at times. If McCaffrey was to go down, Debo would get more like handoffs and stuff. If Ayuk or Kittle was to go down, Debo could be like the future number one wide receiver. He has all of these outs to paying off, and he's shown massive, massive efficiency ceilings. And we look at his entire career, his expected points per game was top 12 each of the last two years. His expected points per game were higher than guys like Waddle, T. Higgins, Devonta Smith. His expected points per game last year was 15.3, the same that it was in 2021. So instead of overproducing his expected points by 6.1 points per game, he underproduced it by minus two. In his previous career low was 0.5 fantasy points over expected per game. He had never had a minus career year in his entire career. So the way that I'm looking at this is he has had over a 25% target for the last two years. He has commanded top 12 wide receiver volume the last two years. One of them, he had massive outlier volume. The other, he massively underperformed his volume. Both years are outliers. We probably expect it to be somewhere in the middle, probably somewhere around like two to three fantasy points over expected per game. We'll say two. And if he had that last year, he would have been at 17.3 points per game as like a top nine, top 10 fantasy point wide receiver. So again, over an entire season, I'll make that bet every single time for guy in Debo Samuel, who has been efficient over his entire career outside of 2022. The volume has been there the last two years. Why not bet on the efficiency to bounce back in the other direction in 2022? Now, after that, our wide receiver 16 here is Chris Olave. Now, people aren't really going to be happy with this. I cannot stress enough. Chris Olave is a top eight dynasty wide receiver for me. I have him ahead of Drake London. He is a very, very, very talented wide receiver. Over the long term, I would like to bet on Chris Olave. But right now, he's like wide receiver 12 uh, in redraft, and he goes like mid-second round. And it's just really tough for me to stomach. Like if we look at – so what I did, I I had a video the other day where I have a year two point-per-game projection model. It takes into account a rookie wide receiver's uh, prospect here, so their RS grade. It takes into account like how good they were as a prospect, their year one points per game, year one yards per out run, targets, routes, all of that. And based on that – Chris Olave came out as a 14.28 year two point per game projection. So that's right in the area of like your CeeDee Lamb, Drake London is in that area, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Elijah Moore kind of in that area, Devonta Smith kind of in that area. By the way, this model would have told us last year to go all in on Devonta Smith and it would have been the right call. Uh, But here's the issue with Chris Olave. I sorted these guys. So these are over the last three years since 2020. They're ADP in their second year. So Jamar Chase in his second year was a fifth overall pick. Garrett Wilson this year, 13th. Justin Jefferson, 23rd. CeeDee Lamb, 28th. Uh, Jalen Waddle, 38th. So on. And here's my issue with Olave. Heading out of year two or heading into year two, he is at best comparable to guys like CeeDee Lamb and Waddle who are like early third type picks. He is going as a mid-second ahead of where Justin Jefferson went going into his second year. He is the third highest, third most expensive wide receiver heading into year two over this three-year sample. And he is, so he's the third most expensive, but he is the one, two, three, four, five, six. He is the eighth wide receiver in your year two point per game projection. So you're really, really... You're really pushing him up. And the, the I, I don't have any issue pushing up a year two wide receiver. I think the issue for me 
is he has to be on a good offense. Like when we talk about Chris Olave, people don't factor in enough this Dennis Allen offense is not great. Last year, they were the fourth slowest team in neutral pace. Dennis Allen, the guy who took over for Sean Payton, is a defensive-minded head coach. Fourth slowest team in neutral pace, seventh lowest pass attempts per game. This is a slow team that wants to run the ball. They just invested in Jamal Williams. They just drafted Kendra Miller. They're going to want to run the ball. The pass attempts are going to be a little bit thinner, too. You have Michael Thomas, who's going to be, you know, presumably healthy for the beginning of the year. You have, of course, Rashid Shahid coming along. You have Kamara out of the backfield. You have, like, Taysom Hill taking his weird touches. Uh, you have Jawan Johnson, who came along last year. It's just a lot going on here for me to want to put him as a wide receiver 12. Like, that's his ADP right now, wide receiver 12. For me, he's at wide receiver 16. I would take him in the third round, no problem. Late second is a little bit tough for me. But, again, he is talented. The peripherals are there. Six in targets per out run. Uh, last year, 7th in yards per out run. He had an 80-plus PFF grade as a rookie. All, all signs point to him being a future stud. Again, I just have a hard time buying in at the top heading into year two uh, with the lobby. But again, still in this like this big tier, wide receiver 16. He's still very high for me. I just wanted to pour some cold water uh, over that 19.2 year two ADP. I think it's a little bit too high for me to stomach. Uh, but again, I think in most like casual leagues and redraft like managed leagues, uh, I'll probably get him in the third round. Uh, and that will be that. Now, E-tier, uh, or not E-tier, our wide receiver twos tier. This is just your plain Jane wide receiver twos. I, you know, I look up, these guys are my wide receiver two. I feel just fine with it. They could maybe be your wide receiver one, but if they're your wide receiver one on a team, you're probably in a little bit of trouble. At wide receiver 17, we have Amari Cooper. And Amari Cooper's biggest drawback his entire career has been his target share number. He would just never command enough volume to, like, push for top 12 point per game numbers. See, he, over his entire career is yet to finish better than wide receiver 14 in points per game. But last year, he did finally command some volume. He had a 26.1% target share. This is his career target share by year. He was at 18.8% in 2021, 21.1% in 2020, never getting over 22.3%. And then last year was just the absolute top dog in his Cleveland offense. 26% target share was 16th among wide receivers. He had a 22.4% target prop run. Uh, which was higher than like Devonta Smith, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins. He commanded targets. He was this like alpha dog in the offense. It was great. He had a great season. Wide receiver 17 in points per game. Uh, if you if he had that 26% target share in like a Cowboys offense he used to be in, he probably would have been a, a top 12 wide receiver. He just happened to be in this Cleveland Browns passing offense that had under 20 passing touchdowns and had the 11th lowest passing yards per game. So it was just tough for him to throw, even with a bigger target share number or market share number, it's tough to thrive in that offense but if Amari Cooper can keep this like 25% plus market share which is tough because again looking at his entire career it probably comes back down but I don't mind you know this like late teens price to bet on Amari Cooper to kind of keep that target share because again I mean he was like a, a I mean like this is like seven years ago at this point but he was a a like if he came out in 2023 uh in rookie drafts and stuff like m- 10 times the prospect that JSN was. Uh, if we're putting everything on the table, being honest, better prospect than Drake London, better prospect than Garrett Wilson. Mark Cooper was that guy coming out of school. Uh, and he finally kind of looked apart last year as like an alpha, you know, commanding the entire lion's share of an offense last year. And we hope that he can take a step forward because he's going to, if he can maintain that same percentage, you know, that same percentage slice of that pie, we think that the pie of the Cleveland Browns offense is going to get bigger. Where they're going to have more passing yards, more pass attempts, more passing touchdowns because we've been talking about this all offseason and we're going to talk about it the rest of the way. This Cleveland Browns offense is going to pass more than you guys think. 
2022, Kevin Stefanski had the 21st most pass attempts in the NFL, the highest mark of his entire career as a play caller, and that was with a bad passing offense. Like Again, this Cleveland Browns passing offense was not good. Uh, 20th in net yards adjusted per play. It just was not good. Or net yards per attempt. It just was not good. Um, they passed the ball more, but we have Deshaun Watson coming into year two here. He was absolutely awful last year. Set career hose, uh, career hose. He set career lows across the board uh, in completion percentage, yards per attempt, all of that stuff. He should bounce back towards his you know career average this year. And there's buzz that the Browns want to pass more. Uh, Matthew Barry, uh, he wrote a col- uh, he wrote a column when he went to the combine this year. And he said, Cleveland's going to be really interesting next year. Look for the Browns to add a speed wide receiver this offseason and go with Amari Cooper. They did with Elijah Moore. Uh, one source told me they are really going to open up this offense, go five wide, pass a lot. This is going to be the Sean Watson's offense, not Nick Chubb. They will pass a lot more than folks expect. So there's just a lot of signals right now pointing to them wanting to pass more. They take Cedric Tillman in the third round on top of trading for Elijah Moore. They want to have receivers that can run, do their thing out wide. Uh, so I think it's going to be really interesting if this Cleveland Browns offense, you know, rebounds and Amari Cooper maintains a 25% plus target share, he might flirt with wide receiver one numbers uh, next season. Now, after that, a wide receiver 18, we have Calvin Ridley. Now, the obvious thing here is he has not played football since fall of 2021. He gets suspended for gambling or whatever. But if we look at over the last three seasons, so since 2020, so that was his last uh, he had five games played in 2021. He played a full season in 2020. He is the wide receiver seven in points per game over that span of guys that have played over 20 games. Now, we talked about this earlier, but there's an elite tier of wide receivers above 18.8 points per game. It is Adams. It is Cup, Hill, Jefferson, Diggs, Chase. Huge tier break. And then Ridley's kind of your stopgap between your like Keenan Allen, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, Godwin, Evans, Lockett area. Right in between. Now, that's because, you know, he's a smaller sample where it was kind of like just his little peak there he had in 2020. But when we're done looking at elite wide receiver options, like in those top six, Calvin Ridley has one of the better upside cases to get back there because he was already so close. We just haven't seen him play. Now, I wanted to read over this blurb. I can't stress enough. Please check out receptionperception.com. Receptionperception.com. I'll make sure I link them uh, probably in the comments or the description or something if I don't yell at me. Matt Harmon does great, great work. Uh, he looked at Calvin Ridley's five-game sample in 2021, and this is what he said about him. I just kind of wanted to read through it. He said, there's a narrative that Ridley wasn't playing well or wasn't holding up in a number one wide receiver role in his first full season without Julio Jones in Atlanta. Never mind that Ridley was awesome in 2020 and didn't play with Jones for much of that season. That narrative is false, and reception perception proves it. Ridley checked in with a 76.4% success rate versus man coverage, 80.5% versus zone, 75% against press. Those are all fantastic results and right in line with that dynamic 2020 season. Ridley is a fantastic route runner who earns separation consistently. His success rates are just below the elite players in the NFL. And he said, not for nothing, Ridley was doubted or doubled on a high percentage of his routes in 2021 and fared well at beating them. He also had a legendary high 90.5% success percent success rate against double coverage in 2020, he can handle the extra attention. So what he's saying is that if he gets doubled, it's not a big deal. Ridley's adept at getting open in every section of the field. He was lethal in 2021 on slants and curls. His post and nine round success rates were also crazy high. The small factor, the small sample factor is surely doing some boosting here, but it's still impressive no matter what. Dude, there is a bug. I'm like catching him like a Mr. Miyagi. Uh, but he said he did all this while lining up as a pure X wide receiver, which is really impressive for his size. He's like sub 190 pounds, really took 85.1% of his sample snaps out wide. and was on the line for 81.5% of those snaps. I can't stress enough how much the Jaguars need a player like this. Reception perception has always appreciated Christian Kirk as a vertical slot receiver talent. And Zay Jones had nice moments, but neither of them 
is an X wide receiver type who can create and sustain separation at all levels like Ridley. So Ridley, what he's saying is uh, this offense, a really nice piece. Last time that we saw him play, he was still at the top of his game. He should be good to go. He's not even 30 yet. He like just turned 29. It's tough to say. It's impossible to say, you know, how much of like 2020 and 2021 Ridley can kind of come back to. Uh, there's not enough of a historical precedent there to even really like start pulling examples out. Uh, I will say like, I think, I think Mike Vick after like his, I mean, that's an outlier thing, but Mike Vick, I think is like first year back from like prison and stuff was like his best fantasy point season. So I'm not saying Calvin is going to have his best season yet, but I wouldn't write off that he can't like match what he was doing beforehand. It's already priced in. That's why we have my wide receiver 18, right? The concern is there. Uh, but you know, the upside is massive. He is going to be the number one X wide receiver tied to Trevor Lawrence, who was the sixth best DVOA offense last year and had the our sixth best DVOA pass offense last year. DVOA is just like efficiency for football outsiders. So they had like the sixth best passing offense on football outsiders and ninth in pass rate over expectation. So they were efficient. They were good at passing the ball and they also passed the ball a bunch. So the volume is there. The efficiency is there. Trevor Lawrence takes another step forward. It'll be in tandem with Calvin Ridley. And that's really exciting. Uh, after that, wide receiver 19, there's still something flying around here. We have, I mean, this is just, this is just insane. I mean, this is just, <laughs> this is just insane. Uh, all right. Our next tier, aging wide receiver twos, uh, really similar bets to Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley, but they're older and they can kind of fall off the age cliff. Uh, first guy we'll talk about wide receiver 19, Keenan Allen. And I really want to talk about uh, something that Adam Harstad has really done a lot of uh, research for. Adam Harstad is one of the OGs of the fantasy world. Uh, he works for football guys. He's somebody that I greatly, greatly respect uh, in the fantasy game. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you absolutely should. Um, he has really been the, uh, I don't know if you want to call it pioneer, but he has been at the forefront of age curves. And I've brought him up before, but he doesn't believe that a, a player's career is like, okay, he comes in, right? He starts slow, he peaks, and then you slowly tail off, right? Like a, a very smooth bell curve. Like that's what most people sort of think when they see uh, a player's career. What he sees is more steep climb up to your prime and then your prime goes all the way out and then it's just a steep fall off right so it's not a loop it is more you know boxy shape where it just falls off a cliff and we've seen guys fall off a cliff we've seen julio jones fall off a cliff uh i want to name some other i feel like andre johnson fell off a cliff randy moss fell off a cliff uh, a lot of these big physical guys the magic just runs out <clears throat> but across the board the magic kind of runs out and what he did here is based on a best fit curve covering all relevant wide receivers over the last 30 years. This is how quality wide receivers age in the NFL. DR percent stands for death rate. It measures the chance that a receiver at that age will suffer a catastrophic and career-ending decline. Again, DR percent death rate is the percent chance that a wide receiver just falls off the face of the earth and stops producing at a, at a rate that we expect them to produce at. EYR ex, uh, stands for expected years remaining and represents a weighted average of remaining career length based on observed data. So Keenan Allen is 31 years old. His death rate based on this table is 21.6% with an expected years remaining of 2.07. So essentially what this table says is he should be able to play this year and next year, but he has about like a 20 to 27% chance of falling off the face of the earth. And that's probably a better way to think about it than like thinking that Keenan Allen's going to go from like 16 points per game to 14 to 13.5 to 12 to, you know, 12.01. Um, and it's more of a, it's more of a rapid, just like straight fall off, you know, guy that doesn't look good. When we talk about Keenan Allen, <clears throat> there's some risk there, right? 21.6% of falling off, but it's not 
an awful risk, right? And Keenan Allen game, he probably ages a little bit better than your Julio Joneses of the world where they're big, physical, they win with their, you know, their traits. Keenan Allen came into the league with like a 4 8 40, uh, just kind of this route running specialist. So I think that his game actually, you know, ages really well. He finished as the wide receiver 13 in points per game or better, or he has finished as the wide receiver 13 in points per game or better since 2015, which is pretty wild. He has just been an absolute staple of fantasy, being really consistent. You get Justin Herbert this year, who should be you know healthier than he was last year. He was dealing with like rib injury and stuff. You get Kellen Moore coming in to call plays and sort of rejuvenate this offense. And Keenan Allen has a slot role on lock, right? Quentin Johnson comes in, looks a lot more than Mike Williams, or he looks a lot more like Mike Williams than Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's role is very secure. He's going to be one of the, you know, passing game funnels of one of the top five passing game offenses in the NFL, and that's really exciting. Now, our second wide receiver that fits this criteria in this tier uh, is DeAndre Hopkins, and DeAndre Hopkins is more up in the air because, uh, one, he's a free agent, right? So we don't know where he's going to land. I don't have any, you know, analysis on his team situation, but in terms of DeAndre Hopkins, last year was the wide receiver nine in points per game. He didn't seem too washed, but the fear is that he is one of these big physical X wide receivers wins at the catch point wins with physicality and those players tend to fall off you know with no warning so that's kind of the concern with DeAndre Hopkins that he could fall off out of nowhere but again it's like Adam Harsett kind of says here where it's a, a it's not a gradual fall off it's a steep decline so Hopkins either is like a fringe top 12 point per game wide receiver this year or he's not right they're very rarely some in-between right like I think we saw with AJ Green too AJ Green kind of fell off pretty quickly with the uh, Bengals but it's not to say which side of that uh, DeAndre Hopkins is on, but there is some upside in his case as well where he could land with the Bills, he could land with the Chiefs, like he could land on an electric offense and, you know, be propped up by a really nice, uh, a really good quarterback uh, and a guy like Mahomes or Josh Allen. Now we get to our last tier here of fringe wide receiver twos. Uh, we're only going to talk through like four. I have like eight wide receivers in this tier. I'll talk about the honorable mentions. Uh afterwards but these are guys where if i look up and they're my wide receiver twos like i'm not thrilled about it i sure as hell don't want any of them as my wide receiver ones um but first up we'll have it wide receiver 21 or actually yeah deandre hopkins wide receiver 20 keenan allen's wide receiver 19 at wide receiver 21 we have christian watson uh and christian watson was an absolute stud last year his first game over 70 percent of the snaps was week 10 from week 10 on he was the wide receiver eight in points per game. It feels eerily similar to Amon Ross St. Brown, where Amon Ross St. Brown from like weeks 10 on of his rookie year was an absolute stud. Per route basis, Christian Watson was a monster last year, even on the entire season sample. 12th in targets per out run, 11th in yards per out run. Really wild, top 12 numbers on a per route basis. Now, here's where the red flags are. We have to pay up for this guy. I mean, I have him right on par with ADP, wide receiver 21, wide receiver 21, but there's no value. He is priced all the way up. Uh, he was not a good prospect. He kind of gives me Chase Claypool vibes where Chase Claypool wasn't a good prospect. We were excited about him after year two, and then he just fell, you know, off out of nowhere. So it gets a little bit tough. Like, if we look at his, uh, can I find the year two uh, point per game projection we looked at uh, with uh, when we were looking at it for Olave earlier? I think that this should be, like, should be right here. Uh, but yeah, so we have Olave there. So like the issue I have with Christian Watson is his year one to me feels very similar to Amon Ross St. Brown, who had a better year two point per game projection for, for, uh, than him and was priced at, at the pick 58.4. Uh, Chase Claypool, better year two point per game projection, was priced at 58.9. Like that's where he should be sitting right there between those two silvers, 
Amon Ross St. Brown and Claypool right around pick 60, but he's not. Like you have to, you have to buy him at a ceiling, and on top of that, he's it's like with Olave, he's not on a good offense. Like I can at least buy into Garrett Wilson because we have Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball, but Olave has Derek Carr, who's not great. Christian Watson now has Jordan Love. Like he's not even going to get to play with Aaron Rodgers, who Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback when he was top 12 in targets per run and yards per run. So it gets tough. Now, that's not to say I'm not drafting Christian Watson or I don't like Christian Watson. I can't stress enough. He's my wide receiver 29, ADP. He's wide or he's my wide receiver 21, ADP. He's wide receiver 21. So I'm right on par with ADP. I'm just never stoked to press the button on Christian Watson. And with an ADP of wide receiver 21 and like 38, you can't really proclaim him like a year two breakout. Like he is already priced like he is going to break out and produces a top 20-ish wide receiver. So I'm just saying you kind of have to buy him at his ceiling, but it's probably fair. That's where I have him ranked, you know. Uh, after that, we have wide receiver 22. Uh, and people forget Jerry Judy, wide receiver 22. People forget that my boy was a league winner down the stretch last year. He was the wide receiver three in points per game with 20.1 points per game from weeks 14 on. Now, even if you take into account the weeks before that, he ends up with 13.6 points per game. And he ended up as the wide receiver 20 on the entire year. You finished better than DK Metcalf, Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Marquise Brown, DJ Moore, Drew Smith-Schuster, Cortland Sutton, the guy people were drafting over Jerry Judy last year. But Jerry Judy wasn't really a bust last year. You draft him around, around wide receiver 24. He finished around wide receiver 24. And that was all while battling injury last year where he was like out and in and out of the lineup like weeks like three through eight. Uh, he only scored six touchdowns, which like isn't a lot for a top 24 wide receiver. And he was on a bottom six DVOA passing offense. Again, Football Outsiders passing efficiency stat with the league's lowest offensive points per game. Just the stone worst environment to play in. And he still found a way to produce. You have to think in 2023, this offense takes some kind of a step forward uh, from just being absolutely terrible last year. They brought in Sean Payton. You have Russell Wilson now learning whatever Sean Payton kind of preaches and, you know, builds his game around what he did with Drew Brees. Hopefully, Russell Wilson can kind of thrive in that environment. If Judy retains this role and is just in a league average offense where, you know, they're league average in the 15s, like in the in the high teens in terms of like passing yards and passing efficiency, then Judy can flirt with like top 15 numbers uh, after what he showed last year. Now, why did you were 23? It's pretty boring. Uh, we're going to go Mike Williams. Now, I don't think Mike Williams has really any case to finish as a top five wide receiver or like really smash uh, for wherever you pick him, but he's just been really consistent and he's in a good situation. So you kind of just have to put him uh, higher than you'd like to. Over the last two years, he's the wide receiver 17 in points per game at 14.6 points per game. Even in a down year last year, uh, you know, he's literally right there next to T. Higgins over the last two years, right there next to Armari Cooper, DK Metcalf. He has produced over the last two years, had a down year last year, but you can also kind of attribute that to uh, Justin Herbert also being hurt uh, and having a down year. Now you're going to have a healthy Justin Herbert this year, a rejuvenated offense with Kellen Moore, where he's going to bring in like pass heavy concepts are going to run, you know, up tempo, be a really strong offense. So give me the guy that's going to catch passes from Justin Herbert on what should be like a top six offense this year. And he has like really big spike weeks. If we look at since 2021, so the last two years, the guys with the most 20 plus PPR point games, you have Cup with 20, you then have Jefferson with 16, you have Tyreek Hill with 15, Adams and Diggs with 14, Chase with 11. And then at seventh, you have a three-way tie between, I believe that's Debo Samuel, Mike Williams, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So he's going to give you spike weeks where he like matters when he's in your lineup. Uh, he also like has games where he's like hurt and stuff over the last, I mean, his entire career has been hurt, but when you start him, 
Uh, he delivers, like, big spike weeks and, like, wins you weeks. So he is somebody that, like, as a wide receiver two, as a fringe wide receiver two, he's pretty much fine. And then the last guy we'll talk about here is Drake London. Uh, we've talked about Drake London. We talked about him in my, like, uh, wide receivers to draft before they break out video. But Drake London rounds out this tier. Somebody that I like betting on because he's similar to Christian Watson and similar to Chris Olave, but he's the cheapest of the bunch where he had a great year one and now heading into year two, his offensive situation isn't great, right? This is a team that is going to be projected for like dead last and rush or dead last and pass attempts. You have Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke at quarterback, but again, this is baked in. He's the cheapest of the bunch when they're all e equal talent levels. I'm fine betting on the cheapest of the bunch and buying low here, right? Now, of course, the Falcons are assumed to be really low in pass attempts, but last year they averaged 23 pass attempts per game with Mariota, 29 pass attempts per game with Desmond Ritter. The volume came up. With Desmond Ritter, I think there was more a habit, just kind of what they had to do. There should be more volume with a different quarterback this time. Drake London should be more efficient as well. Drake London was this among wide receivers, fifth among all wide receivers, and the highest percent of off-target uh, targets in the NFL, with 19% of his targets being off-target. Now, Drake London, you know, you have a lot of untapped upside here where he was 14th in yards per out run last year as a rookie, had a 29.4% target share, was fifth among all wide receivers, 18th in red zone targets. He's efficient. He commands a lot of volume. He's big. He gets red zone targets. He can be used in the red zone. There's a lot to really like here, where if, like, Ritter is unknown and he comes out here and it's just better than we think, or just at least better than, like, league worst, uh, the offense looks good. If they come out here and they pass a little bit more than we think, then Drake London can step forward. And even if that doesn't happen, he can command a big enough market share of this offense and be efficient enough to just make his own points and kind of be sort of similar to like A.J. Brown uh, in his tight end days. Now, that's going to do it for us today. There is my top 24 wide receiver rankings broken up into tiers. If you want the complete, complete wide receiver rankings for me for 2023, my redraft rankings are live on patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. Patreon.com slash Ron Stewart you can find it in the description the top of the comments below. Uh, if any of you guys out there are sick enough that you want to see my redraft rankings this far out, uh, if not, that is completely, completely fine. But as always, I appreciate you guys watching, sticking around this long. Uh, we should have some banger videos this week. I kind of have a, a rough outline of what, what I want to do this week. But hope you guys enjoyed. As always, leave a like, subscribe, and I will see you guys in the next one. Stones, uh, like this froze, uh, ice cold, uh, oh, oh.